In my 15 years of sermon and curriculum writing, I've never actually preached out of this story. I realized that, which was interesting. And then when I looked around, I actually realized that's quite common for a lot of pastors. Um, one of the most iconic and famous stories in the Old Testament, um, it's a beautiful story, rich in detail, and perhaps the most known to religious and non-religious alike. Ask anyone about David and Goliath, and I am sure you will get a head nod of some kind of understanding. Um, but perhaps it's because we know the story so well that it slides off of a pastor's radar. Or maybe it's because we learned it so well early on as a kid that we just don't think about it. Or maybe because on the surface, the crowning moment, the crowning achievement is when David beheads Goliath. Ooh. And we're not sure exactly how to talk about that or how we're supposed to make mention of it, um, which is a bit ironic because we avoid the topic. But you ask any kid and they're going to remember that part of the story. As best as we try to sanitize the story, it's right there in front of us. It's what likely makes it such a perfect Hollywood story. The unknown boy who faces the giant, this lone, rugged individual who through cunning and secret training in the forest comes out with all of these super skills and saves the day. And in killing this unbeatable foe, he becomes famous and eventually crowned king. What a story. Who doesn't love an underdog story? The little guy who wins. I personally, being of certain stature, love the underdog story. Um, I, I, I lean towards it, and I love the idea of the small guy taking down the big guy. It's a powerful story. And in this story, um, there's tons of life application that's in front of us. It's helpful. It's insightful. How do you face the giants in your life? Look to David. Look to this story. Um, when the enemies of your life or the, the challenges in front of you are taunting you in your faith, look to David for some truly helpful tips on how to face the giants in your life. And when such helpful insights are so easy to grab, they're like low-hanging fruit in this story, it's actually easy to miss the less obvious but deeply nourishing point that's throughout this entire story. What does this story actually say to us about how to live? Is this even an underdog story at all? Because once we dig a little deeper than the domesticated Veggie Tales version of the story, the little guy versus the big guy, and we get past the surface of the story, we might see the most important truth resting there. So let's get into the story. Let's explore this and see what God has for us today. Uh, but first, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we need you. Lord, I know as someone standing here ready to give this word that I, I often come across challenges, giants in my life, uh, difficulties that feel insurmountable. And so, Lord, I thank you that in this moment I know that out of your word, I am preaching to myself first. And Lord, I just ask that you would help my friends that are listening and watching right now, that they too would be drawn by your word and by your spirit into beautiful and important things for us to live by. We love you and we need you. In your name, amen. 
So have you ever faced, this is probably true, a challenge, a problem, a trial that's so difficult and so seemingly insurmountable, so, uh, so to the, the furthest extreme that it's hard for us to even fathom? Um, you have a giant in your life, perhaps. And obviously, not literally a nine-foot-and-a-half giant. Um, your giant might be sickness, depression, worry, fear, an addiction of some kind, a habit, an attitude, a sin, financial trouble, failing marriage, broken relationships, a lawsuit, unemployment. I could go on. It's all of these things. Um, it all began, let me start at the beginning of this story. So we have these challenges in our lives. And if we've been in these moments, we can learn from the story. So it all begins with the Philistines, a neighboring country to Israel gathering for war against Israel. They've lined up their forces, one on the side of the valley and the Israelites up on the other side of the valley. Now, neither army actually wants to be the first to engage in battle because whoever is the first one to attack would be forced down into the valley into a place of disadvantage. So they just stayed there and they bring out the champion, right? The champion of the Philistines steps forward, Goliath, this nine and a half foot tall man with armor that weighs 125 pounds approximately, with the head of his spear alone, 15 pounds. And for 40 days, these two armies line up at the battle call, and every day Goliath would come forward, and the Philistines would line up, and he would issue insult and challenge to the Israelite army. And every day, the Israelite army, including King Saul and David's brothers, his three oldest brothers, would run back in fear to their camp. In their eyes, from their perspective, there was no way they could defeat Goliath. He was an impossible problem. Even though Israel had great fighters, Saul himself was renowned for his great fighting skills and was taller among all of the Israelites. An interesting point that they chose a king because he was big, strong, tall, and could fight. Interesting thing, just to tuck away. Even with all of that, the math did not add up and they ran back in fear. We need to face the problem. Don't run away. Don't get sidetracked. Don't hide from the giant. When we face problems in our lives, I know for myself, I have a tendency um, to want to do what the Israelite army did, to back away, to get distracted, to turn my attention away. We become so overwhelmed by our problem that we tend to run from it and ignore it. Um, unfortunately, our problems rarely go away when we employ this method. They rarely just disappear. When we run or ignore them, instead, uh, they have a tendency to grow when we try to like, stay away from it. And every day, the problem seems to be a little bit more intimidating than the day before. Take it, for example, people who start having a health problem but refuse to go to the doctor for fear that it something actually might be wrong. Or uh, we have all of these examples in our lives. So another tendency that we can take from this story, an important truth, is that um, the brothers. So um, in facing the giants, uh, the brother has this interesting response to David. So in verse 28, it says that when Eliab, David's oldest brother, 
heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom uh, did you leave those few sheep uh, in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Wow. Thanks, older brother. I really appreciate that. That makes me feel really loved and warm inside. Could you imagine that, right? Um, but here's the thing. We tend to skirt the real issue, and we start arguing with people about insignificant things. Um, it's interesting that this very brother, only a chapter back, likely heard Samuel proclaim over David that David was a man after God's heart, that David had what was right on the inside, the exact opposite of being wicked. The truth was that David's older brother was likely shaking in his boots, and he knew that David had seen his cowardice. So likely out of his own guilt and jealousy of his brother, he began accusing David of ridiculous things. The problem was not with David, clearly. The problem was that there was a nine-foot giant around the corner that everybody wasn't talking about and didn't want to think about and wanted to avoid and distract themselves with right? Do we do that? Many times when we face a giant problem, where do we go? What do we do? And in our unwillingness to address what's right in front of us, we maybe lay blame to those around us, or we, we, we notice other things, or we fixate on one small thing while ignoring the bigger problem. We make mountains out of molehills, and while ignoring the elephant in the room, the real issue. We know that there is an issue, but we're afraid to deal with it. And I know for myself, that's often the case. Do you sometimes get distracted away from the major problem and start arguing over those insignificant things? It's possible. David did neither of these things. He didn't let his brother distract him. He didn't get drawn into a petty things. He faced the giant. When David heard the threats of Goliath, and he asked, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? It's a good line. Right here in this verse, we begin to catch a glimpse of the fruit that's not just laying that's easy for us to grab before us. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? We'll come back to this verse later on, but first I want us to continue on in the story. So David knew the problem, and he wasn't going to hear any of these other distracting things. He knew the problem needed to be responded to, and soon we need to face our giants with courage. Don't ignore it. Don't sweep it under the rug. David did the right thing in this situation. He faced the issue, and he had the courage to ignore the smokescreen, his brother's accusations uh, put on him, and face the real problem. Notice what David did about uh, his brother in verse 29, if you have your Bibles with you. Uh, he turns, he says, now, what have I done? Can't I even speak? And then he turned away from uh, turned away to someone else and inquired more about the reward for killing Goliath. 
Most of us would have gotten ticked off and we would have entered into the battle and we would have had a this and that. But David just like, no, don't got time. I've got to continue on. I've got these questions. I have to resolve this issue. David wisely ignored him and turned to face the problem that was in front of him. Sometimes the most courageous thing we can do is turn away from the people who are sidetracking us and face the real issue, the real problem, the giant with the knowledge that God is with us. So the first point is face the problem. And then the second is, is ignore the doubters. Ignore them. Put them to the side. You see, the second step that David demonstrates in this is when he goes to Saul and actually says, please let me fight. You know, and David uh, has his petition and basically says, let me at him. Let me go. Let me try. And Saul looks at him and says, you're a kid. You don't have experience. He's nine feet tall. He's a veteran. He's been fighting since he was a child. Right? You can't do it. This is what's going through Saul's mind. You can't do it. You're only a boy. You're too small. You don't have enough experience. But Saul's shot. So uh, David's been shot down. And I can't blame Saul. Right? None of us actually could blame Saul in this situation. What any wise military commander would do in this situation is remind the boy of this distance, this problem. We've got a guy up here and we've got you down here. This is a problem. Now, in all of this, um, we have to remind ourselves, we have to be reminded that there was a lot at stake here. This wasn't just some little side skirmish. David challenging and fighting Goliath represented the entire fight. This wasn't just one thing. The spoils go to the victor. The champion was more than a sideshow. He represented the entire conflict. And so you can appreciate Saul's hesitancy in giving over an entire battle into the hands of a teenager. We can appreciate that. So yes, on paper, from the eyes of Saul and Israel, sending David out was not a calculated risk. It was crazy, foolish. It was a waste. It was not good stewardship. When you decide to face your giants, whatever it is that's going on in your life, there's always going to be naysayers. There's always going to be people that are going to shoot you down. There are always going to be people and circumstances, maybe even yourself saying it, that it's impossible, you can't do it, don't waste your time, don't even bother. But I encourage you, don't listen to them. What voice do you listen to? Who do you listen to? Where do you get your cues from? Is it from the world around you or is it from the Lord? David didn't let the doubt get in his way. He continued to convince Saul that he could do it. And just like he defeated the bear and the lion while he was shepherding, when God has called us to face our giant, we can't allow other people's doubts to sway us. We need to look through eyes of faith. We need to see what God has done, is doing, and walk in that way. Now, surprisingly, this was always, a, in some ways, it's quite surprising that Saul actually decided to say yes and give them a chance and give his blessing to fight Goliath. But what's interesting in this moment is even in doing that, he still then insisted that he gets put into his armor and he does, he does the fight the way that everyone always does fighting. So even though Saul said yes, 
he wasn't really saying yes because he was convinced, but he was saying yes from somewhere else. David might have been in, in agreement to say, yeah, go ahead, but wear my armor. Do it like I did. Do it like any normal person would do it. See, Saul still didn't know the truth of the situation. Saul did not understand the situation like David did. Saul was well-meaning, but his focus, like all the other Israelites, was still on the wrong thing. They saw the size of Goliath, and they thought they needed to match him. They thought that that could be the only way. So David puts on all of the gear, uh, and it's hanging to the floor and the chain mail, and it's awkward, and it doesn't fit David. Even though Saul had used this armor and the sword successfully in the past, it was, and it was the standard way to enter into a fight, David knew it couldn't work. David knew that to fight this battle required honesty and leaning into the strengths and resources that had worked for him in the past. It is helpful for us to look at our past and ask, God, you helped me in this situation and in this way. Is, am I supposed to do that in this situation now? Right? So we have this moment where David recognizes his own strengths, his own skills. He recognizes his own weaknesses. He's like, I, I don't fight with a sword. I don't fight with these things. I don't want to do that. He was honest with what he had at his disposal. He was honest with who he was, and he chose to walk with that. You know, so perhaps God has already given you the weapons or tools or abilities to handle the problem that is in front of you. You've just forgotten. Maybe it was a year ago, two years ago, a decade ago, three decades ago, five decades ago. It doesn't matter when. If God was faithful then, we know that God is faithful today. And we can anchor ourselves not only in our own history and our own story, but primarily in the story, the story of God's Word displayed throughout history of His goodness and His faithfulness. So from this point, we have the story coming all the way up to this like pinnacle moment, and we enter into it, and the battle lines are, are set. David readies himself and stands before the giant, and we know the story. The, this, this man rages against David, mocks and taunts him. He takes a step forward, and David charges. He goes right in for it. He looses the rock, and he strikes the giant between the eyes. Goliath falls down. Everyone is frozen in shock. Like, when did, did the fight even start? Like, what just happened here? He's down, on the ground. In all likelihood, he's completely dead, but we, we can't know for sure. David can't know for sure, Right? So he, he joins in, he grabs, he falls, he picks up the sword, goes over, and finishes Goliath off with a beheading. Wow. Okay, I blazed through that because I wanted to be able to lean into some of the fruit that maybe is easier for us to miss. So I just want to do a quick recap. One, face the problem. Two, ignore the doubters. Three, Ask, how has God helped me in the past? And then use what has worked for you in the past. Use it in this situation. And when the time comes, don't back down. Step right into it. And then number five, don't take chances, right? Be ruthless with our enemy. 
It says that Goliath saw David and despised him. The enemy of God and the enemy of our lives hates us. And that's something that's important for us to remember. Despises us, hates us, wants to do anything and everything possible. Any side attack always after us. You can't go halfway in this situation. He's always, the enemy is always trying to bring doubt and fear and confusion and temptation across your path. Do not, uh, we don't want there to be a second battle. And so we even see this in the story a little bit, right? By all accounts, when, uh, when Goliath fell, he was dead. But you couldn't know that for sure. So you take the sword and you make sure. In your life, the challenge that, that challenges that have come your way, make sure. Um, I love how in the 12-step programs, in the 12-step tradition, there's a term that they often use, which is half measures avail us nothing. Meaning, if you want to defeat addiction, you want to find long-term victory in your life, you can't go at halfway. Half measures will not work. If you've only been kind of fighting, sort of fighting this battle against this giant in your life, Maybe today is the day you fully commit to the fight. Fully commit to this path of victory for what's overcoming you and what is challenging you and what's bringing you down. Go all in and leave no opportunity for a side attack. So we, this is where we land ourselves. This is, these are beautiful lovely, and you could apply way more illustrations and way more ideas from this story for how we can apply them to our own lives, for how we can overcome the giants in our lives. But that is only the half of it. This is the low-hanging fruit, the principles that apply to all people in all situations. It what makes this story so attractive to those who follow God or not. Up until now, we've only primarily been focused on the surface issue. Now let me read to you again the passage I said I would come back to. Uh, it's verse... 26. David asked the men, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Defy. If you have your Bibles with you, underline that word. Underline the word defy. It is a critical word. It's a clue for understanding the heart of the story. The word defies occurs throughout the narrative. 1 Samuel 17 first references it. it. It references it many times in verse 10, 25, 26, twice, verse 36 and 45. And the first occurrence is when Goliath, the Philistine, the champion, steps forward and announces, today I defy the ranks of Israel. Now, our modern context doesn't really grasp the significance and depth of what Goliath just did. The word doesn't just merely mean to challenge or to dare. In the social context of ancient Israel, the term implied something far more serious, far more world-threatening. The term occurs actually regularly in Psalms of Lament, where we have these various psalmists that are uh, present, and they, they have these like insults ter terms and taunts and reproaches about their oppressors being like, oh, you're attacking me and all of these things. And it's all pointing to God 
being defied, like, Lord, they're defying you. Do something about it. They're, they're attacking me and mocking me because of, and saying, oh, this God, who are you? In this situation, this is what's really going on. In those passages, it is clear that the taunts of the enemies are not merely insults, but are assertions, serious accusations against the validity of God and his power and his ability to save his people. So when David questions who would defy the armies of God, it's not just saying, who's this big meanie who needs to be put in his place? This giant wasn't just a man. He was a representative of a people, a nation, and the enemy of God himself. And with this in mind, like Pharaoh's firstborn being killed, this wasn't about a man being killed in battle, but in God's faithfulness being questioned and evil being squashed. Our enemy is constantly defying God and wants us to live in fear and be blinded to the truth. He wants us to think that our problem is so big that we begin to question the goodness of God that we begin to wonder whether God would actually step in and fight for us, that we begin to question, is this God actually for me and on my side? Am I with God? Does he, does he have my back? In Luke 1, 37, it says this, Jesus says this, for nothing is impossible with God. Let me say it again. For nothing is impossible with God. And in Romans 8, 15, it says, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. The people of Israel saw a mighty warrior defy their God, and they believed the task to be impossible because they saw it as a fight between them and another guy. The burden was on their shoulders, they thought, to prove that God was mighty. This is what Israel didn't see, couldn't understand, but what David did understand. And this is, for me, and for maybe for you, the biggest problem. We think that God might be standing at a distance wanting us to prove our faithfulness or prove something and leaving us to fight our battles. The whole time forgetting that this is God's fight. This isn't man versus man. This is enemy versus God. What does David in his speech to the Philistines say? Uh, we put it, we'll put it up on the screen. David said to the Philistines, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head this very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world, the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that this is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. Ephesians 6, 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
We are not called to live in fear, to be afraid, no matter how gigantic of a problem we are facing. When we receive Jesus Christ and become children of God, God is on our side. God is with us, and nothing is impossible for God. The battle is not about a person who is in your way. We have to see with eyes past the surface See with kingdom eyes what's really going on. Our enemy is never actually a person. I just want us to be reminding of you of that. The enemy is never a person. It is always the accuser, the devil, sin, our flesh. So what really happened? What can we take from this whole story? David didn't see a giant. He was the giant because he knew the truth. He knew that his God is faithful, that his God is powerful. He knew that his God wins. It says this, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. He doesn't say I come against you with rock or stone. He says, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. David's tools might have been a sling and stone, that they could, but it could have been blow darts. It could have been cotton candy. Because the true weapon, the true weapon, is the name of the Lord Almighty. The Psalms passage that Pastor Matt read to us at the beginning of the service has this beautiful line. And it says this, Those who know your name trust in you. Those who know in your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. It wasn't about David or his skill. Did God use David? Yes. Did God use David's unique skills? Yes. But it wasn't about that. It was about his trust, dependence, and faith in God. How did Gideon win? How did Moses free Israel? How did Noah survive? God and God alone. Why did God call Abraham righteous? because he had faith in God. And the sooner we surrender the fight into God's hands, the better. Let go and let God. David wasn't perfect. We'll learn about that as we go through his life and learn a little bit more. And it wasn't his perfection that landed landed him as the eventual king. It was that his heavenly father chose him and David lived in that truth. He lived walking, knowing he was a child of God. The battle belongs to the Lord. Friends, let God have the battle. Let him be the one to win. Yes, you have a part to play. We have responsibilities. We have what we talked about, those first five points. We have these things that we are called to do. But at the end of the day, it is not about facing a giant. It's about us acknowledging and knowing that behind us and with us and in us is the giant, is the eternal one, is the powerful one that makes a Goliath look puny and small. Ultimately, this story is the precursor to the man who had eyes so perfectly fixed on the Father, so perfectly fixed on the name of God, that nothing stopped him from walking in obedience and facing the greatest giant of all, death on a cross. Where would we be today if Jesus had not faced his giant, the crucifixion? 
Because Jesus faced that giant, we are able to find forgiveness of our sins. We are able to be in relationship with God through Christ. So I guess we'll end with this. What giants are you facing in your life? Sickness, depression, financial trouble, failing marriage, broken relationships, lawsuit, unemployment. What giants seem so big that you can't imagine how you could possibly overcome it? Don't run from it. Don't be afraid. Face the issue head on with this truth. It's God's battle. Are your eyes focused on the problem or are your eyes focused on God? Are you seeing the problem or are you thinking that God is here and true and real and foundational and I can actually allow God to do this through me and with me and in my life? When you face your giants, do you carry and care about the human tools that other people give you or that you're trying to use? Or are you willing to step out in faith and trust in the name of Jesus? What steps is God inviting you to take today? As the worship team comes up, I want to encourage you that with this final song, that you would allow God to speak to you and that you would focus in on the name of Jesus is mighty and powerful. Our God is not small. The truth was that David knew that he wasn't facing a giant. He was fighting some petty man who was defying the living God. I invite you today, I invite you this week to step out in faith and take the enemy on, to rush towards it in total trust that God's desire is for his enemy to fall before you. May we have that kind of faith in our living God. Let me pray. I'll give a benediction and then we can enjoy this song and allow it to speak to us today. Heavenly Father, if there's anyone here listening who has not yet made a decision to follow you, Jesus, with their whole lives and their whole being, I pray that this would be the moment. That they would, in the quiet of their living room or wherever they're at, they would turn to you and say, Jesus, I am tired of fighting these battles on my own. I don't want this battle to be mine. It's actually yours. I give it to you. I surrender. Lord, I pray that you would help all of us change our perspective, that we would see that in Christ we are victorious, that we have might and we have power, not in our strength, but in your strength. God, you are mighty and powerful. Teach us this week what it looks like to live like David, to see our problems from heavenly eyes, from a kingdom perspective, not from man's perspective. We love you and we adore you. Amen.